Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. After 400 years of prophetic silence from God, the angel Gabriel was sent to the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth to announce that they were going to have a child named John. John would be an important man used by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Gabriel then went to Mary, a young woman who God had chosen to be the mother of the Messiah that was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. Mary was initially startled at the news, but then was willing to be used by God, excited to see what the Lord would do. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. I think it's probably been this way throughout much of history, but it, it seems at least today that a lot of people like to challenge God's greatness. Me and my son this morning were talking about how some people believe that you know, the Old Testament God's different than the New Testament God. The Old Testament's a God of wrath and the New Testament is a God of grace and mercy. And, you know, and I was telling them, I say, well, if they're saying that, they haven't read their Bible. God's full of grace in the Old Testament and he's got quite a bit of wrath in the New Testament too. So uh, they're the same God. But they challenge that. They say, well, if God's really great, if he's so awesome, why does he let horrible things happen? And that's a, a valid question, but it, it's one that has an answer. Of course, it doesn't help that there's an entire religion that is co adopted the phrase, God is great, and they use it right before they blow themselves up. That is not what we mean when we say God is great. But the question then is, though, if, if some people have used that wrongly or they declare it and they mean something else, is God great? And are we right to believe so as Christians? Well, remember, Luke's goal in writing his gospel, as we've been studying it, is to show us how reliable our faith is. He's going to share now events from Mary's life that actually answer the question, is God great? And so as we study it and we see her response to the great things God does in her life, may we also see the reasons why God truly is great in our lives too. So chapter one, and we'll begin in verse 39 of Luke chapter one. Now, context, remember, Mary's just been told by Gabriel that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. She is going to become pregnant, even though she's never known a man. So it's going to be a virgin birth and she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. So verse 39, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. As she entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted or greeted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation, the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, Mary lives in Nazareth, which is up in northern Galilee. So the hill country here of Judah is in the southern part of Israel. So it's a quite the trip for Mary. Now, if you want to picture it, if you've ever pictured like a cartoon where they show rolling hills that they just look like bumps, if you go to Israel, you'll you'll see that's exactly what the southern hills of Judah look like. They look like some kid wrote a, you know, with bumps. That's just how they're, they're a caricature of it, but that's exactly what they look like. And so Mary is traveling from that northern area all the way down to that southern hilly region of Israel. And we don't know which city they were from. Traditionally, it says they were from Hebron, but the scripture doesn't tell us. So I'm not going to remark on that beyond that. But she's excited. She comes with haste. She has to tell somebody. And who better to tell than the one the angel said has also experienced a similar miracle where she's pregnant too. Elizabeth. And so she comes and she comes in the house and she greets her. She's excited. I think this is interesting because of course, who ultimately is the one who meets all of our needs? 
the Lord, right? Jesus is the one who meets all of our needs. But even though we must bring all our needs to the Lord, the Bible tells us to bear each other's burdens. It tells us to. You know, Elizabeth loved her. Elizabeth was a godly woman. Elizabeth would understand what she was going through. Elizabeth was the right person to go to. And, you know, that's important for us to have people like that in our lives. You know, do you have people that you trust? Do you have meaningful relationships with others who you can talk to them about anything? And here's the kicker. You'll receive from them even if they'll tell you what you don't want to hear. You need to have people like that in your life that you can pour your heart out to them. I have people like that in my life. I can just pour my heart out to them and I say, listen, I'm really upset at so-and-so or this is going on and I don't like it. And they will commiserate with me and put their arm around me and tell you it's going to be okay, Well, but you know your attitude stinks, right? And I go, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, and then get back on track. We need people like that in our lives. Mary knew she could trust Elizabeth, you know, and so she went to her. Sometimes we only have people in our lives who tell us what we want to hear, and that's not what you need. Or maybe we try to bear all our burdens alone, and both of those approaches are unbiblical. We should not try to bear our burdens alone, and and nor should we only go to people who tell us what we want to hear. We should have people in our lives who we can trust, we can have them bear our burdens, but they can also speak into our lives. Do you have someone like that? Because if you don't, you need to change that. It mentions here, she enters into the house of Zacharias and she greets Elizabeth. Now, can you imagine what it was like for Mary to see Elizabeth pregnant? Because that's what the angel had told her. Said, listen, your cousin Elizabeth, she's pregnant too through a miraculous pregnancy, you know, in her old age. Can you imagine what it was like to see her swollen belly? Because remember, she's six months pregnant now. And to see that and go... It did happen. This is real. You know, this wasn't just, I'm not going crazy. I'm not seeing angels and visions or whatever and and losing my mind. This is real. This is really going to happen. And yet, before Mary could say, me too, when she saw Elizabeth, John the Baptist decides to preach his first sermon. Look at verse 41. It says, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Babies move all the time. I remember when I was growing up, I'm the oldest of seven. So I always had the opportunity to see that my siblings all in my mom's tummy. And so, you know, she would come, 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 William, see the babies moving, whatever. And, you know, you put your hand in there and you feel a little something and go, oh, wow, cool. Totally different thing when, when I got married and my wife got pregnant. You see like limbs and stuff. I mean, it's just alien-like all the way, you know? It's a whole different experience when you see it that way. It's different when you're trying to sleep at night and you're getting kicked by your own child who's in the womb. You know, it's different. But babies move all the time. This is not that. This is something supernatural because it mentions when John the Baptist is getting all excited inside, it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit, which means God supernaturally revealed Mary's situation to Elizabeth. And so when Elizabeth sees, hears her greeting, God tells her immediately, Mary is going to be the mother of the Messiah. She is just blown away. It says here that when she was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says she spoke out with a loud voice. The word there means to cry out suddenly in fear and anger or surprise and joy. I'm going to guess it's surprise and joy here. What? Mary? Mary's going to be the mother of the Messiah? And she says, blessed are you among women. God picked you out of all the gals he could have picked. What's really significant about that to Mary? Those are the exact words that Gabriel said to her. The exact words. How is she supposed to know that? She can't know that. 
How encouraging was that for Mary? Here's Mary. You know, she sees Elizabeth and she goes, she's pregnant, just like the angel said. But then she hears Elizabeth say what she says, the same exact words the angel said. And she goes, not only is this real, this is good. This is God's plan for me. This is a great thing. Sometimes God brings us through trials because he wants us to trust him to bring us out of those trials, right? He, he leads us into a trial because he wants us to trust him to bring us out of the trial, right? You know, you, you come into a financial crisis or whatever, health situation, whatever, and, and we cry out to the Lord and he wants us to trust him because he wants to bring us out of it and bring glory to his name that way. But there are also times when God is leading us into a difficult situation because he's stretching our faith and he wants to use us in a greater way. And that's not bad, you know? That's not a bad situation. You shouldn't be praying and go, God, get me out of this, you know? Because the Lord's saying, no, I wanna stretch you and I wanna use you in a greater way than I ever have before. And that's what this situation is with Mary. You know, there are sometimes people walking around, God's, you know, my cross to bear, God's just, he's, he's putting me through trials. And it's like, no, he's not. He's stretching you. He wants you to grow. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. And in this case for Mary, this was an awesome thing. But there was lots of reasons to wonder, how is this gonna to work out. I'm not married. What are people going to think? And here, what an encouragement to her that God was stretching her and saying, Mary, I'm going to do an awesome thing. It's a good thing. And what an encouraging word to hear Elizabeth say that to her, that she's blessed and blessed is the fruit of her womb. You know, I know some of you out there right now, God's stretching you. He's stretching you. Have you come to that same conclusion as Mary yet? That it's a good thing? And are you embracing, embracing God's plan as he leads you into these new things? You can trust him. He loves you. When God reveals this to Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth is blown away. She's just like, that's why she cries out. Blessed are you among women. I mean, she's just so excited. But Elizabeth, she doesn't stop there. She's also blown away that Mary would come to her about it first. Look at verse 43. She says, and whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, whence, an old King James word, old English word, it usually means where from. But in the Bible, it actually, mostly the time, it means why. Why is it that this has happened to me, that you've come to me with this news? What, what honor is that that you've come to me? And she says here that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, the word Lord there is the word kurios. That's the word for master. It's a title of deity. When the people would come to worship Caesar, they would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is kurios. And they would offer a pinch of incense to the statue. The Bible says not Caesar is Lord, but who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. When we make that statement, we're not just saying he's in charge, which is true. We're not just saying that he's the boss. That's true. But we're saying he is God in the flesh. He is God almighty. You know, here we find that Elizabeth recognizes that Jesus is God in the flesh when she says that. In the scripture, it's very clear that's how Jesus is viewed. Somebody was telling me yesterday, they were listening to a Jewish broadcast or whatever, and he was going off about how nothing in the Old Testament said anything about the Messiah being God. And and they said, is that true, Pastor Will? And I said, that is not true. (laughs) One of the famous Christmas phrases that we say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the son of God. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Now we've stepped into different territory. The mighty God. That's not a man, a mere man. That's God in the flesh, God himself. And that's what Christmas is. It's the incarnation. The idea that God stepped into our world, he became a man. Elizabeth believed that. The, the comment, if you read the rabbi's writings, they believed the Messiah would be God himself. It's something more new, that, that a belief that 
The Old Testament doesn't teach that. That's not the consistent teaching even of the rabbis back in Jesus' day. One other thing I want to point out here. It is common to refer to Mary as the mother of God, but that would be incorrect. The Bible never refers to her that way. God has no beginning. He has no end. He has no mother or father in that sense. And, and the Bible's clear about that. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 with me. Paul, in, or whoever wrote Hebrews. Now, I, I already told you who I think did it. Whoever wrote Hebrews, he compares Jesus to Melchizedek in chapter 7. And in verse 3, he says this about Melchizedek. He says, he's without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. That's Hebrews 7, 3, very clearly. But made like unto the Son of God, he abides a priest forever. He's eternal. Now, I personally think that Jesus is Melchizedek. I realize others don't necessarily think that way, but that's my thought, because no man is eternal aside from the Lord. I believe that. But the idea here, God doesn't have a mother. You know, he doesn't have a father. Kids are, Who made God? Well, nobody did. To refer to her as the mother of God would be incorrect. It would be more correct to say that Mary was the mother of the Messiah. That's what Elizabeth is saying here, the mother of my Lord. You might be saying, well, isn't that just semantics? Does it really matter? Well, no, it's not semantics, especially when you consider that most ancient religions worship mother God figure. And sometimes people can look at Mary that way. And the Bible never puts her in that light. Mary was a godly special young woman, but she was no deity and she does not have any inside track to God because she's his mom. Okay. She doesn't have any inside track. You know, she has to come to the father just like you and I had to come to the father. In fact, in her whole Magnificat, the thing here that we're going to study today, she refers to and speaks of how she experienced mercy from God. What is mercy from God? Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. In other words, we deserve something judgment, but God doesn't give it to us. So if she says that God was merciful to her, she can't be a deity like that. She can't have an inside track to God. It's important for us to recognize that because we can get distracted sometimes by that. It's one thing to realize that God's doing something in your life, but it's pretty much another thing to hear someone else verbalize it, right? I mean, she knew God was working because she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, I'm okay with this. I'm your servant. You do whatever you want with my life. But, you know, then she makes the long journey down to see Elizabeth, and that's a lot of time to think. Can you imagine what it was like for her to hear these words from Elizabeth? How encouraging it was to her? Mary's face must have been like this. I can't believe I'm hearing this. And so when Elizabeth sees that look on Mary's face, she explains how she knows about Jesus, how she knows in verse 44. For lo, Elizabeth says, as soon as the voice of your salutation, as soon as you greeted me, it sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. The word there means literally to keep jumping up and down for joy. This was not just an arm rolling across Elizabeth's belly. This was full on gymnastics going on inside. He is just jumping up and down. He's like, that's the dude I've got to talk about. This is the one. I've been sent to preach about. He's ready to go right there in the womb. In that moment, Elizabeth explains that God did something supernatural. That's how she knew. That's not all though that God showed Elizabeth. See, God didn't just show Elizabeth that Mary was gonna give birth to the Messiah. God showed Elizabeth that Mary submitted to God's plan. Look at verse 45. And blessed is she that believed. How's Elizabeth know that? Only if God showed her, right? They haven't had any conversation yet. So God supernaturally revealed to Elizabeth that Mary trusted God with this. And then what beautiful encouragement that God tells Elizabeth to share with Mary. For Elizabeth says this, she says, 
For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So verse 45, she says, Blessed is she that believed, but be encouraged, Mary, for there shall be a performance. God will do those things which he told you about. And that's fascinating because what had happened to Elizabeth's husband? She was reminded every night when she looked over and said, Hey, honey, how was your day? And he looked over and said, Really? You know, thought, Really? I can't talk. You're going to ask me that question? And I know how wives are. So she probably was like, Maybe next time you'll trust the Lord. Good night, sweetie. You know? But she knew that every night she would see the effect of not trusting God because he couldn't talk, remember? So she encourages Mary to keep trusting God. I know you gave this to the Lord. When he told you about this, you said, okay, God, I trust you. She says, keep trusting the Lord, Mary, because he will do what he promised. And let me ask you, do you believe that God will do what he promises? Do you believe that? Guys, God will keep his promises to you. I know there are times in your life where you might look out there and go, but God, I don't, it doesn't look like your promise is holding true right now. Listen, every time I've been in that situation where it looks like the ship is going down, God keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. He can't fail. So he can't not keep his promises and he's good. So trust him, rest in his promises. When Mary hears these encouraging words, she does trust the Lord more. And she begins to praise God for all he'd done in her life. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. You know, it's interesting because Mary believed God. She believed, but hearing Elizabeth's encouragement here moves her to take the next step where she's gonna declare God's goodness. She makes a choice to declare God's greatness in her life. She says, my soul does magnify the Lord. The phrase there does magnify is in the present tense, which means she's gonna do that right now. She goes, my soul. Now, what's our soul? Our soul is our will, our intellect, our emotions. It's the part of us that's most us. It's what makes us unique. And she makes a choice. She says, I make a choice by an act of my will that my soul, my will, my intellect, my emotions, they are gonna magnify the Lord. Now, what does that mean to magnify the Lord? Fancy Christian language? The word magnify means to praise the greatness of someone. You know, it means you're talking about how awesome they are. You know, if you have ever had a child and and they've done something wonderful, they won a contest or they placed in an event or they made the all-star team or were walking for the first time or they said, ooh, for the first time. You told everybody, right? Because you were excited, you were proud, you wanted everybody to know how awesome they were. That's what this is. To magnify the Lord, it means to declare and praise his greatness, you know? And she says, you know what I'm gonna do right now, Elizabeth? I'm gonna declare and praise God's greatness. I'm making a decision to do that in my soul. Now, she explains in verse 47 that her spirit had rejoiced in God, her savior. Our spirit's a little bit different than our soul. Our spirit is the part of us that fellowships with God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they died spiritually like that. That's why the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. People say that, I never understood that. What do you mean I'm dead in trespasses and sins? I'm walking around, I'm obviously alive. Spiritually, I am dead in trespasses and sins. My spirit, the part of me that has you know, a relationship with God is dead. There is no relationship. Now, when I give my life to Jesus, I put my faith in what he did for me on the cross. I turn from my own life to live for him. The Bible says I'm born again or born from above. I'm spiritually born. And so my spirit, God, supernaturally brings it back to life where now we have a relationship again. Now in that relationship, that's the part of me that wants to please God. You know, one writer described our spirit as the highest, deepest, and noblest part of our humanity, the point of contact between God and man. My soul receives input from my spirit, 
but it also receives input from what? My flesh. My flesh is the part of me that appeals to my carnal nature, the things that don't please God. Like you look, you say, Lord, you know, I, I know I'm on a diet, but could I have one piece of cake this morning because I got goodies out there? And the Lord's like, you can have one. But then the flesh is like, hey, what's wrong with two or three? And of course, the Lord's going, one is enough, <laughs> you know? And then the battle's on, right? The battle for the soul is on because the flesh wants one thing, the spirit wants the other thing. My soul receives input through my flesh, which appeals to my carnal nature, and it receives input from my spirit, which appeals to what pleases God. When Mary first heard this news, her spirit was overjoyed at it, that she would give birth to her own savior. You know, she says here, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Here again, Mary admits, I need to be saved. He's my savior. The idea here being, she says, my soul, my spirit rejoiced in that. But the flesh was like, what are people gonna think? I don't know if this is a good idea. And so when she hears these encouragement, this encouragement from Elizabeth, she takes it to heart and in her soul, she decides, I'm gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna listen to the flesh. I'm gonna magnify the Lord. I'm gonna declare how great he is. And you know, every time we decide, whether it's to sing a song or to tell somebody how awesome God is, we're doing the same thing, making the same choice. How is God great toward her? Well, in so many ways. And in declaring all those ways for us today, Mary's gonna share with us six reasons why God is great. So beginning in verse 48, reason number one. For, because he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, or check this out. Anytime you see the word behold, that's what it means. Check this out. From henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. The first reason that God is great is because he regarded her low estate. The word there, a phrase regarded, means to take special notice of something. God took special notice of her humble position. The idea here is that, while I'm sure Mary was a nice, beautiful young lady, truth is she lived in a backwater village and she was engaged to the town fix-it guy. So, I mean, that's what, a, that's what the word carpenter means. He was a town fix-it guy. When stuff broke, they brought it to him. Granted, you know, that may be glorious at some point in time in our history, but back then it was not glorious. So there is nothing that would ever call attention to Mary as an individual. Tons of people lived in Israel and didn't know who she was. And many of the people in her own village didn't think anything special about her. And yet, even though no one else took notice of her, guess who did? God did. He took special notice of her. And because of the special notice God paid to her, people throughout history are going to call her amazing. I mean, we think about it. We're here talking about her today. Someone that if you were to think, pick, you know, the, the most backwater place in central Florida, I'm not going to name it because I do that. And then someone always comes up and he goes, I'm from there. I'm not going to mention Bithel this morning. So <laughs> God took special notice of her. That's what makes God great because he takes special notice of all of us. He knows you intimately. Like he knows all the things that make you tick. Things that wouldn't be special to anybody else. They're special to him. He knows you individually. Me and my son were talking this morning about snowflakes because I, I mentioned to him, I said, yeah, it might snow in North Florida because we were looking at how cold it was in the car and the heater wasn't you know, getting it done quick enough. And dad, it's really cold. And he said, you know, a little bit more and it would snow. And I said, yeah, it's snowing, you know, I think it's North Florida right now. And he's like, what? That's crazy. And then he asked me, he said, dad, is it true every snowflake's different? And I said, that's what I've heard. Every person's unique. And none of you are just another name or number to God. None of you. He takes special notice of you. And so do you know that? And do you know that he wants to do special things in your life just like he wanted to do in Mary's life? 
See, that's just a part of what makes him so great. He takes special notice of us. No one can earn God's favor or blessing. When God truly uses someone, it never brings them glory. It will always bring God glory. He takes special notice of us. He cares for us, even when there is nothing good in us. He loves us. He longs to bless us. It is always on His terms and in His way. Come and know how great our God is. Taste and see that He is good. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.